Welcome to On Farm Trials with the PNW Farmers Network, where we explore the many trials that come along with cropping systems innovation in the Pacific Northwest. Plenty of questions get asked while farming across this region, and together, we're digging into what it's like to try to answer some of them as producers, researchers, and the many other professionals in the field that get things done. In this two-part series, we head out to the Moon Family Farm in Horse Heaven Hills of Washington to visit with owner and operator Garrett Moon and USDA ARS Cropping Systems Research Agronomist Dr. Garrett Hynek about their work collaborating on on-farm trials to answer important cropping systems innovation questions together. Thanks for joining us for part two of this two-part interview. We're glad you're here. I'm your host, Carol McFarland. I, I will say though, regardless of, of whatever alpha you set, um, uh, doing the research, I, I kind of harkening back to what Gary Moon was saying earlier, you can have all of the knowledge in the world of statistics and textbook knowledge of uh, what cropping systems could, should, would be, but the wisdom that comes from experience is not something you can, you can easily obtain or is replaceable with with that knowledge you have to build those skills and experiences and i guess to as you would like me to rethread back in the statistics the the statistical tools are just something that we use i i, I like to use just to help discuss what we're finding uh, for example i work with a very good statistician he does our remote sensing um, work out here and he'll use things like Bayesian hierarchical model. There's a big word. Yeah, right? that's, that's fun. That's a fun one. But in the end of the day, he comes back to me, and then I go to Garrett, right, asking like, "What does all this mean?" And I'm, you know, sometimes I have a good answer for him. Sometimes I don't. And it's in those conversations that we find relevant applications for the statistical analysis that we do have our, at our disposal, just as we. Um, you might utilize statistics and experimental design to figure out is Kernza or intermediate wheatgrass grown for Kernza going to work or what cover crops might work. And the statistics is just a way to help us, again, get to a conclusion that we can all agree upon faster uh, without less, less debate. Although I find that to be less of a problem with farmers. Uh, usually we have pretty good conversations, I find. We usually do. Yeah. Well, and you were talking about coming back and um, you know, talking with Garrett about like, this is the data we found. The way you're talking about it, about your experiential knowledge, I mean, nothing beats the depth of site-specific knowledge, I think, that, that you get from farming this land, um, especially, you know, growing up here and, and really being part of it. So, I bet you guys do have some good conversations. Yeah, we do. and and. I, I think what I love about farming is there's an endless series of puzzles that you get to solve and the clues, especially in the dry country, you never know when they're going to come up, you never know how they're going to come up, but there's, there's things that I'll see there'll be a problem or sometimes something that worked out well and you don't know why and you turn it over in your head and you think about it and you put it aside and then some other piece of information comes in six months or six years later and you pick it back up and then once in a while it will just all click in and you will see the why and that's a beautiful feeling. And it, the what's cool about this relationship that we have is to be able to 
to bring him in when I'm in the middle of one of those processes and to 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 have a problem that I'm wrestling with or something that's of of that same thread and then to have him use the tools that he has to to help me to have another mind look at it and come up with some kind of solution. That's cool. Having the different perspectives at the table really makes makes for a richer conversation, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's almost I think you had mentioned the Eltar, mm -hmm. um, which is the national Eltar, not the Eltair, which they're similar in nature, but uh, anyways. Yeah, Eltair is state. Eltair is state, yes. Yeah, we shouldn't get that we shouldn't get that confused. Part of the Washington Soil Health yep. Initiative and in Washington State. Yes. So we'll which is different than the national as you said. It's USDA ARS. And interestingly enough, the Eltar is really interested in this and just to give you a little background, the, the Cook Agronomy Farm is a physical farm. It's located just um, just north of Pullman. And, but the Cook LTAR extends across the entire region that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. It's eastern Washington, northeast Oregon, northern Idaho. It's a big area. It encompasses the Horse Seven Hills. And it's a national group, and the national leaders are very interested in co-innovation of research and like, what does that mean they know right that they they want that and it's a very good thing to investigate but it cannot be done without these kinds of conversations occurring over and over and over again and iteratively to try to get at how do we solve some of these problems and actually to be honest to even ask what questions need to be answered right what are, yeah, you, what are you trying to do here um, so that's part of, uh, I feel, my role is in the LTAR is getting out there, um, meeting with farmers. That's what I like to do anyways, which is great. Huh, it all yeah, works together. <laughs> it's nice. Isn't it? <laughs> so this is a, it's, it's a great interface for me. And hopefully that uh, by extension will be assisting the greater um, LTAR network as well. Um, so as you're talking about the, the LTAR network and the Cook Agronomy Farm, you know, as you were threading through some of the conversations about statistics, I wanted to just circle back a little bit to um, how does the on-farm research here come together with some of maybe the other work you're doing both on the Cook Agronomy Farm and, you know, maybe other plot work that you have going on at the other kind of more research level um, farming. So... How oh, does it fit together? Absolutely. Uh, and Carol, you and, have, have, you and I have had a lot of good conversations about how do we even conceptualize this as a continuum, um, lab work to small plot work on, on research farms to larger scale research on research farms. And moving into the on-farm research realm, there's all sorts of different ways we can conduct research that will assist, hopefully assist farmers in increasing their profitability and sustainability. Um, as far as how does my work interface with the Cook Farm, I think it just extends its applicability. We have a massive rain gradient. We've got massive differences in soil type and depth across this region. Without extending the network of research sites, and then by extension, the number of questions we're trying to answer because the questions always change with the region, uh, the LTAR is just Cook Farm, right? Pullman, Washington is not the Horse Seven Hills, is not Mansfield, is not you know, Davenport, it's, right? It's not Lind. They're all they're all unique and and special in their own way, and they all have different needs that need to be addressed. 
And my job is to thread, is to thread those questions in a way that we can deploy research in a unified manner to answer those individual questions, but still meet the needs of the overarching goal of the L, the Cook LTAR. Um, and so it, it's been really an interesting challenge for me. Um, and I don't know if, if I'm if I'm getting it right yet, but I'm gonna keep gonna keep at it. That's for sure. Well, so. the, the fun thing about working in ag is there's a lot of adaptive management, and I think that on all of our parts. So, I, so thus far, certainly I've learned more from Garrett Moon than Garrett Moon has learned from Garrett Heideck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <So>. you. <laughs> um, and Garrett Moon, of course, I, I know that you could probably have your own solo podcast episode on your own <laughs> on-farm trials really easily, but um, if you could maybe just briefly talk about a few of the things that you have um, that you're trying kind of more independently on your farm and how does this kind of co-production of research fit into the rest of your research portfolio on your farm? So on our own farm we, what have we tried? Many things over the years. We have been using a stripper header that's been 100% of what we've harvested up until recently. We, as I said, have switched to where we're doing all no-till we have trialed different types of grains. We've grown triticale. I've grown some heirloom wheats, some uh, white Sonora, which is uh, an old Spanish variety. I've tried to find some specialty market things with spelt and others. And so it's been a little bit of things we've tried on the agronomic side and things we've tried on the economic side. Probably one of the things that we've pushed for more than uh, some other farms have is attempting to to market to where we are working directly with millers and bakers and push that direction. The Kernza was kind of a natural to, to do with Garrett because one of the, I think it's a hard requirement if I'm remembering correctly, is they want to make sure that there's a market for it if it does become a, a marketable amount. And so we've got some bakers that we work with that are interested in that. We work with some malters and we sell some product to them. So. Kernza and things like that fall into the the realm of things that I'm looking to do because there's potentially higher value for a farm like ours than just to grow commodity wheat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard a little bit more about your um, direct marketing adventures on the Artisan Grain podcast. And they are adventures. <laughs> Ooh, that's it. Yep, and like I said, it, it probably warrants been more of its own podcast but episode but thanks for sharing some of that and just to um, expand maybe a little bit on your interest in Kernza so it sounds like part of your interest in Kernza is on this more um, kind of regional marketing side but what are some of the other potential benefits you see in exploring Kernza? I think Kernza, Kernza fits well with the philosophy and the thing that I've picked up with farming here that the more I can copy what the plants that live in this area do in their life cycle, the more successful I'm likely to be. And so the native grasses that, that lived here before we were farming it and that we still have here, they follow a water and growth and dormancy cycle that allows them to survive here. And Kernza has a similar it's not exactly the same, but it's got, got what I believe a similar to ability to do that. And so I've watched the native grass. I knew about Kernza 
and I've wondered if there was a model that we could bring together there where we grew Kernza under a similar type of circumstance and even if we didn't harvest a tremendous amount of grain we would harvest high value grain and we would also be able to potentially eliminate the fallow period and not fight with the weeds and all of that put together would come up with something that might make us more money per acre than growing grain that yielded better. So that was the thinking coming into this experiment and the hope that we could pull something off like that, but of course all that remains to be seen. Excellent, thanks for sharing that. I'm kind of interested in the ability of perennials generally to scavenge water in such a dry land environment. Garrett, would you like to <laughs> maybe um, elaborate a little bit more on some of the potential benefits you see about um, growing Kernza in this region? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I don't have any hard numbers in my mind right now. I can say that I did have, um, I was uh, tracking water down to a little over four feet in spring wheat, in fallow, and in the, the perennial Kernza plots. And I will say that the wheat actually seems, I mean, it really draws down all the water in the, in the surface profile. The Kernza, however, does seem to be pulling a little bit more water deeper in the profile. Again, no quotes on hard numbers here uh, can be provided, uh, but that's something that I'll be increasing my vigilance on, is what getting more tubes in the ground so I can see what's going on. Uh, certainly, it is interesting. I, I, again, don't have the, the data to say this per se. In the Palouse, it is quite apparent though, the plants are scavenging nitrogen from deep down in the profile. So if you're over applying nitrogen and you've got, I'll, I, to be honest, in the horse salmon, probably just gonna take longer to find this out because they have to just, they have to establish yeah. themselves. It it's taking quite a bit longer and that's just the nature of the beast. Um, but uh, we might be able to scavenge more nitrogen that's been left over from year after year of annual cropping, which I think will be I think interesting. Get there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that. And so that's actually now we have like another interesting idea that we can think about. Right? How are we going to measure that? I don't know for sure. First, have to first have to figure out where they're actually getting their water from, I guess, and empirically determine that. But always more questions. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Oh man, that's a fun one. But yeah, if it can scavenge nitrogen, especially with the variability of the cost of nitrogen, gosh, wouldn't that be nice to pick up some of this stuff rather than just leaving it down in the profile? Yeah, to lose it out the bottom. That's what no one wants. Also yeah. too, like to talk about other alternative grains, um, we're, we're still, you know, Gary and I are still going after other ideas. Um, I think, so most of our grasses now we've been talking about are all, C3 photosynthetic pathways or cool season grasses. But what if we switched over to C4 grasses, plant them later, they can handle a lot more heat. They might even be able to draw down the water further than a wheat plant could, right? Something like teff or sorghum or millet and therefore compete better perhaps with Russian thistle, I don't know. They would, I, I think, and, and we've played with that so far again unsuccessfully when, in the case of the TEF, but that's true. I, anything that we can have on the fallow field, especially during the early part of the season when the broadleaf weeds that we struggle with are just monsters, just to have some competition there. And I know in places that are just a little bit wetter than ours, they've come up with cropping cycles where they eliminate the fallow some of the time and they go into like a three-year cropping cycle that has fallow for part of it 
And that, I think, is what we're working up to, is finding finding the basic questions of what will even grow, because that's always a challenge in Horse Heaven. <laughs> yeah. And when is your best shot to get it to grow, which is the next question that follows. And then once we've achieved those more elementary building blocks, then we can maybe build some, some type of rotation out of that. That actually lends itself toward uh, one of the questions that I'd like to follow up on, Garrett, is you know, what out of the research you guys have done so far, have you found anything that's kind of more immediately actionable that you've been applying more broadly to your farm? It's okay if it's, it's not. Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to think, you, you know, Sorry, the, no, no, no. <laughs> this is a, this is very good. Let's get it all on the table here. <laughs> you learn much from the failures and we've had a lot of those and we failed forward. So those those have all been good information that has allowed us to build some things that have worked. I think some of the pleasant surprises we've had have been the cover crops, the mix you put in this season, the sorghum, which did phenomenally well. I did not expect it to do that well. And also the peas and oats. Oats did extremely well. And I think there's some things that we can take and experiment with seeding dates and times and rates. and and we can build on those and potentially find some covers that do work well for us. Nice. So are these try like are you getting ideas to try on your own out of this research too? Is that what I'm hearing or are I, you guys I am I, I, I <laughs> it's all too risky for him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're definitely uh, on a on a pretty fine edge out here. I th I think a, a, an example would be on the the sorghum and the covers. So there's NRCS programs where farmers can get some cost share on cover cropping and if sorghum, I haven't looked into this yet, but if sorghum is something that we could put on the list and they would approve that as a, as a, as a species, that's something that, that I now have information that I would ask for because I know it's going to do well and if I'm going to cover crop, I want to try to get things that are actually going to come out of the ground instead of just putting seed in and watching nothing happen. Mm. <laughs> That's no fun. All right, at the risk of kind of getting repetitive, but also, you know, maybe building on some of the um, past conversation that we've had today, um, would you each describe the potential benefits and maybe some of the challenges of on-farm experimentation collaborations between farmers and researchers? I know for me, in scheduling this podcast, trying to get all three of our schedules to coordinate was- That's one of the big challenges for sure. Was its own trial. <laughs> What do you guys think? I think the benefits for me is it is, whatever the data is, good, bad, or otherwise, it is absolutely relevant to my farm because that's always been one of the struggles for us in Horse Heaven is research which is done someplace that has more water than here is very often not relevant or relevant. If it is relevant, it's, it's very blurry where, where it may be and, and we, don't, we don't have a lot of faith in that data. And so to be able to do on-farm trials here, I, I can get answers to all the questions on my own land and that is extremely valuable to me. So that's probably been one of the biggest pluses. I think uh, for me, one of the, well, one of the biggest pluses that I get to be on-farm, which is where I typically like to be. And then again, the, it gives me access to being able to get data that 
although it may take more time, should be more impactful on a on a on a more specific scale, right? I was saying before too, uh, I can do all the work I want, you know, around around main campus and Pullman on the Cook Farm directly, and that research is going to be super useful for people who live around that area. But you move further west, not that far really at all, and those data typically become fairly irrelevant. And so in order to do that, we either have to have a lot of research farms all over the place, or leverage the folks who have the, the questions that we should be answering in the first place. So that's, a, I think, a really big a big driving force behind doing on-farm research and, and co-innovating with the, the folks that are we're, we're, we're trying to serve here. So that's, that's, uh, that's kind of what it's all about for me. So how will you know if, if these experiments are a success or not? And again, you spoke to some of this, but what are the long-term goals for this trial? What's going to have Garrett Moon deciding, okay, I'm putting a whole bunch of my acres into Kernza or, or not, right? It's, it's a slow process. It's a slow build. All these, all these things, I think you, you scale up slowly, right? And you, you take them through a few years, some good cycles and some bad cycles so that you have a better understanding of what they'll do. It's really no different than when I adopt a new variety of wheat. You don't want to have something, you don't want to go big too fast. You don't want to try something that did really good in a wet year because you haven't plumbed its downside potential yet. So you don't want to scale that up and put it in on the whole farm. So I think really it's just a, a steady progression with these things. If the Kernza, we find that in year four, year five, it gets to a size where Garrett's gotten some numbers that suggest we're going to get reasonable marketable amounts, then we can do some trials. We can experiment with whatever herbicides or crop care we may need to do with it to make it work on a bigger scale. And then we just expand from there. I like to remind myself a lot of when I'm doing this kind of work and and trying to think of like where where is who's going to find this useful ever, <laughs> right? What, what am I really doing out here? Um, That's a good question. There's a, there's a there's a paper that was published, uh, right? The thing that I'm supposed to be doing uh, from Bill Schillinger uh, it was a number of years ago now. But it's the title is approximately a hundred and some years of grain fallow in eastern Washington. Oh yeah, and that like, was a good one. Yeah, like what have we learned and why are we still doing it? And that I remind myself of that. Right, I've been here for two years, and Garrett Moon is a fourth generation farmer with lots of generational knowledge on his ground. So, what is success? You know, I don't even know where to begin with how to measure success in the face of. If I'm if I'm trying to challenge challenge grain fallow, right, in an area that's been doing it for going on well over a hundred years now, am I going to change that? I don't I don't know. I don't know. I suspect not. But maybe we can nudge it, right? Maybe a three-year rotation instead of a, you know, winter wheat fallow, and then and then figure out, you know, maybe tweak that a little bit more. And then you know when I'm really old and gray. And so is Garrett Moon. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll get there, right? But there's, it's just this constant cyclical, you know, trying to figure out, right? Falling, 
failing forward and and reiterating the process and tweaking it just a tad bit it's it's just it's very much farming in general that's that's how we look at the whole farm we're always trying to look for a better way you're looking for efficiencies you're looking for increases in production decreases in cost and you just try to make improvements on all of those wherever they become apparent mm -hmm. yeah well and you don't you don't know if you don't try exactly um, but I, I also hear that for you, one of the indicators for you know success of Kernza is obtaining a marketable amount. So, um, what about some of the other projects? How do you know if they're a success or not? What kind of metrics are you looking for, both kind of qualitatively and quantitatively? Uh, probably the two big measures for me would be dollars and dirt, really. So, on the dollar side, if there's markets for it, if it makes me more money, if there's potential markets that are growing. If I think there's some place it can go, those those are all the ways, right? Does it make me more money or does it save me money? That's an easy measure. On the dirt side, is it better for the ground? Is it protecting the soils from blowing? Is there less risk associated with it? Does it smooth out some of that risk, some of the curves we have with moisture, those sorts of things? So those are really the things I'm looking at to answer those questions. Thank you. And I am going to give you a pass on calling it dirt this time because it does sound more poetic. <laughs> only, only in this circumstance. The rest of the time it's soil. Yes, thank you. Um, how about you, uh, Garrett? What are you, what's your metrics of success? Well, Carol, all I care about is publications, so. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, I, that's, that's a, it's probably something that I should reflect on. What is, what is success? I think if I if success to me was getting any specific crop, be it Kernza or anything else on the landscape, having that as an agenda item, I don't think that is in line with what is reality, nor I do think it's in line with like how I want to like conduct my research. I think it's great to try it, right? And try it over and over again and answer that question. But I have no like agenda to, to do so to like force it onto the landscape but or any any of any crop for that and we can think smaller scale too like what with these plots like what what does success look like oh okay you know like yeah. you know garrett not kicking you off his farm could that's be a, a good success one metric. it is a measure of success that's um, <laughs> successful that's i feel successful that uh, you know and and so what like how so do you answer know the question. With these experiments so what is the question can't in on small plots on, on small plot acreage so not on, on field scale does kernza establish grow does it produce grain and if so how much mm -hmm. any number of those steps along the way could like reduce its viability and success on the landscape but even if it it, it doesn't pass all those tests it's still answering the question Mm -hmm. Right, and the only way to answer that question is to do it over and over and over and over again, right, for mm -hmm. three to five years. So, um, that's that's the answer to the question, your question, yeah, and the kinds of question. Well, and how about some of the other projects? You know, I mean, the the proximal sensing of weed mapping and the cover crops. You know, for for you, what are the metrics of success aside from, of course, your number of publications? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh boy. Um, <laughs> so. I think it's the same the same thing to have and I, to go back to like our conversations that Garrett and I had and Carol you and I have mm -hmm. um, 
We need to define a good question. And if there is a good question, then think about that question enough to develop a testable hypothesis. And any good hypothesis, if approached properly, should be able to be rejected or failed to be rejected, and that is answering the question. So if we try to bite off more than we can chew, take too big of a question or have hypotheses that are not realistically solvable, then in the end of the day, we will have a hard time answering that question. But if not, we are failing forward or succeeding, right? So uh, yeah, I, I think that's maybe the moral of the, that rambling story would be uh, ask good questions. <laughs> to ask careful questions and think about your hypotheses and make sure they're they're in line with reality, which really comes down to having good conversations about about what you're trying to do. I can get behind that one. Um, so, what's the most annoying thing about working with a researcher? <laughs> I <clears throat> I mean, really, everything's been pretty straightforward we have a good personality match we talk through this stuff so I mean in in earnestness there's no real problems I think I think the more amusing one and I alluded to it earlier is just as a farmer you want to treat fields as blocks and as a researcher we're perpetually going to be at odds because he's got to have control <laughs> he's got to have the controls control blocks control spots whatever you want to call them and so that's just going to be unreconcilable, I think. <laughs> mm. Well, that'll happen. How about you, Garrett? What's the most annoying thing about working with a farmer? Oh my gosh, that was fascinating, Garrett. Thank you. <laughs> is, it, is it when he doesn't turn off his sprayer? No, when you no, ask no. Him? That, that was that was mostly just a joke. That was a fun day. Um, I also that like that could probably be right up there on the most annoying things. I'm just like, mm, we can't just can't just seed that all the same way. Yeah. <laughs> we have to like put it here, there, and like in a randomized fashion. Um, but that's the reality of doing business, right? Like there's realities that we have to acknowledge, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah it's okay. And we're, likewise, we're, we're okay with that. Well, obviously the the ROI is still working out for oh, both of you because you're still here on the farm, well, so there's that success. You see, I'm tucked away right over there, Kara. It's a little, he sequesters <laughs> me, so I can't do as much damage that way. Now, right? is that your best ground or your worst ground? <laughs> it's actually pretty good. Nice. And it it works out pretty well because it's very good ground, but it's uh, in a weird tight spot, so it's perfect for him to let him have that. Yeah. Oh, I'm. I'm so glad that you guys have found that synergy. Right next to the yard, I can get stuff in and out easily. It's nice. Hey, that's I've right. got one more thing, though. Okay. Real quick. Uh, so the most annoying thing to me probably is not the, like, our, our constant, like, back and forth on replication randomization and local control. <laughs> <laughs> My most annoying thing probably is, to be perfectly honest, like, the lack of, like, working knowledge and I'm not understanding the ground. And this goes for anywhere that I'm doing work. It's like, ugh, like how patient do I need to be like year after year to like, before I understand what the heck is going on around here. And I'm constantly asking, he's like, is this normal? Should we be having more rain? This seems like not enough rain. He's like, no, it's all right. I'm like, all right. Seems like not very much. <laughs> is it fair that he's answering this being annoyed with himself? <laughs> Uh, he's a nice guy. What can we say? All right. Oh, you know, I'm from Wisconsin. Too. No, I know. I have a real special affinity, as they say, for folks that say you betcha in earnest. Um, and, you, and you're one of those, Garrett. Um, so what's, what's the most fun thing about working with a farmer? 
Oh, I guess that's for me, isn't yeah, it? That is for you, <laughs> yep. Um, the most fun thing about working with a farmer. Hmm. I think having a, a real conversation, I think that that's good. It's easy to have conversations yeah. with farmers. And I hope Garrett likes talking with me. We've been doing well so far. Oftentimes, and I guess this is going to be on the air, but I'll say it anyways. Oftentimes, you get, we get like pigeonholed, right? And we get, we get stuck into having to follow agendas. And that happens less, I think out here you because you get that diverse array of what the needs are and what the questions are it's not just like um someone who's been working on something for 20 years and they have an agenda to follow that that path and you're able to really expand your horizons a little bit more just by nature of having having the interaction so that's what i i think i i really like not to say that um, I don't also like working with other folks in research, obviously I do, but I do find it, it really broadens your perspectives, I guess. Oh, that's awesome. Well, there's that co-production of knowledge and innovation. Um, Garrett, what's the most fun thing about working with a researcher? I think, from my perspective, it's nice to have, it's nice to have another mind on these problems because as a farmer, you're usually by yourself, outside of you know convention season when we talk to and, and can broach some of these problems with other growers but you don't have a lot of people to bounce things off of so you've got problems in the fields you've got things that you're wrestling with you've got things that you don't understand and it's just you so it's nice to to have somebody else that's knowledgeable and can bring another skill set to bear that you can talk to about these things and bounce ideas off of and they're interested in them and they care and they want to take that in and help you investigate it. So that's that's a good place to be. Garrett, doesn't it sound like he should come to the Soil Health Coffee Hour? Oh yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be going to the Soil Health Coffee Hour. For. <laughs> you do, yes, you, you do. do good. Uh, but Well, I just want to say thank you so much to you both for, for doing this work, um, exploring the potential, even if it is the downside potential sometimes, yes, of our region's cropping systems, um, and the innovation for this region, and of course to share it with our listeners. Um, we look forward to hearing more as your work progresses. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. Oh, thanks so much again for having me out to the farm on this beautiful fall day. As always, a big thank you to our guests today for sharing their wealth of knowledge and experience with us. This podcast is produced by the PNW Farmers Network team with music credit to Carlos Flores. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers alone and do not represent that of the PNW Farmers Network or any associated agencies. Please remember that experimental results will vary and listeners are encouraged to try things at home. If you like what you heard, please support this work by sharing, rating, and reviewing. And do consider joining us as a guest or nominating a friend who is trying things on their farm. We look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, happy trials.